We're, uh, we're glad that you're here. And see Randon's back from his teaching job. Welcome. This morning is a uh, youth message. So, youth, you'll get the opportunity to uh, discuss the message after, afterwards in your Sunday school time. Uh, but the message is really for all of us, I believe, this morning. And uh, so, as we consider God's Word, let's begin by praying and asking God to meet us here this morning. Heavenly Father, there's so many things we could be thankful for, even if we had nothing and only had you, that would be enough to be thankful. And yet, you have blessed us with so, so much abundance, and we're thankful, Lord, for that. We're especially thankful that you have set aside a day where we can come and worship you, lay aside the cares of this world, and focus on you and your word. Would you be with us this morning? Would your Holy Spirit guide us and teach us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning I have a word, and the word is mysteries. We enjoy a good mystery, and I was thinking this morning as I was preparing earlier this morning, I was thinking, you know, I, I remember as a young lad in school, uh, I don't remember the age, but uh, being, uh, reading mystery books, Hardy Boys, things like that, you know, and, and just loving a good mystery. The scripture is full of mystery. And uh, as students of the Bible, we're thrilled when we come across a clue to part of that, or in our study, in our observation of Scripture, a clue of part of that mystery. Um, but there are things that will always remain a certain degree of mystery in the Scriptures because our God is past finding out. And, uh, but there are things that we can learn. And there are mysteries in the Scriptures and there are mysteries in life. The questions of why. Questions of why now. Questions like that that remain a mystery to us. And we may never know. We may never completely understand. Maybe some clarity. Maybe. Maybe some peace. But we'll never fully understand all the things of life. Or the scriptures. The scriptures actually use the word mystery uh, in the New Testament. 27 times the word mystery or mysteries is used. And... Uh, in the New Testament. Mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Mysteries of God. Jesus in the gospel of Matthew says, It is given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. That know is, the Greek word was gnosko, to know absolutely, to know absolutely the mysteries. That's in Matthew chapter 13 verse 11. It's been given unto you to know the, this God who is past finding out has enabled us to know, to absolutely know some of the mysteries that are hidden from them, from the rest. It says, but unto them, those that are not of the kingdom of God, that are without, it says in Luke, it is not given to know. All these things are done in parables, and seeing they may not, and seeing they may not see, and hearing they do not hear, and it became it, it remains a mystery. They do not understand. 
So this morning, as we think about the mysteries of the gospel, young people, if they mock you for standing for righteousness, if they, if they look down on you for doing what's right, it's okay because they don't understand. It's not given to them to understand even. Don't sweat it. They don't know what you know about the kingdom of God. And though they may hear it and they may see it with their eyes, they don't get it. And we wouldn't get it either, lest we become proud in our thinking. We wouldn't get it either, except for it is given to us by God to understand it. In John 16, it says, Howbeit he, the Spirit of truth, when he is come, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. He will guide us into all truth. We don't figure it out on our own. It, it, God opens our eyes and he opens our ears and our understanding. And the Spirit guides us to truth. And he teaches us. And it's a lifetime of learning the mysteries of God. Revelation, and excuse me, in Romans 16 it says, Now to him that has the power to establish you according to my gospel, the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, which was kept secret from which was kept secret since the, the world began. That, that secret has been here since the beginning, but he is revealing it to us. The mystery of God, the mystery of Christ, the mystery of faith it speaks of, the mystery of godliness. We understand many of these things, but to them that are without, they, don't, they remain a mystery. They don't understand. And if you're here today, and, and this book, this scripture is a mystery God wants to reveal it to you. And it happens when we're born again. And, and he opens our eyes and the spirit comes in to live within us. He wants you to hear and see, not just physically, but spiritually see what, what he has, what's happening. The mystery of his will for his people. Ephesians talking about the will of God, the mystery of his, it literally says the mystery of his will. It says to whom, starting in verse 7, it says in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, that's being redeemed because of what he has done, according to the riches of his grace, wherein he hath abounded towards us in wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. But there is another mystery that I have not mentioned yet. It is found in 2 Thessalonians uh, where it speaks of this mystery. It's called the mystery of iniquity. And I heard this phrase here a week or two ago, and it got me to thinking, and it's the starting point for our message today, the mystery of iniquity. What is the mystery of iniquity? And we begin to, to explore that by discussing and considering our enemy this morning. And that's what my message is on this morning. It's, I've titled it The Mystery of Iniquity, but we need to understand our enemy in order to see the mystery, I believe. And uh, I, uh, I struggled as I studied for this message to fully understand things myself. So I, this morning I am open to, um, to hearing your testimony if, if I have in, in somehow been in error as I speak of our enemy. Uh, 
I think we would agree that the enemy would want to keep everything in God's word a mystery to us, distracting us from reading God's word, keeping us from understanding it, confusing things, because the mystery, once that mystery is solved in the kingdom of God and it becomes clear to us, then we have victory. And he wants us to keep from that. When we come to truth and salvation, it's no longer a mystery, but a reality. And he loses when we come to that. This message is to, to explore some of the, the aspects of our enemy and some of the methods. Ephesians 6 says that, that uh, we stand against the wiles of the devil. Put on the whole armor that you may stand against the wiles of the devil. And the, and that, and, and the Greek word there is, it means his methods. The wiles means his methods. The methods that he has, the, the trickery. And we put on that armor so that we can understand and stand against the methods and trickery of the enemy. In Corinthians, Paul says in the Corinthians, he says, in light of someone coming to true repentance and asking for forgiveness and us forgiving that person, he says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, lest Satan should get an advantage of us. He would want to take an advantage of for we are not ignorant of his devices. Satan has methods and he has devices in order to be able to, to bring us into his control. And we want to be vigilant against that. His, method, his methods and devices to, draw, to drive wedges amongst us. Let's not be ignorant of those. He will push and he will prod he will do anything he can to bring you to a point of despising the very people and the very things that have brought you to knowledge of, of Christ. That's who he is. He's our enemy. And that's what he wants to do. Youth, if I were to ask you, what is the, what is the opposite of God? Well, how would you answer that? Who is the opposite of God? Maybe that would be better. Satan. I didn't hear, see where that came from, but that, that, is, that is what I would answer as well. And yet as I was studying, I was, that is actually a trick question because Satan is not the opposite of God. We, he is not the polar opposite. If north is polar opposite of south, Satan is not even in the realm of God. He is a created being, and that's what we want to talk about this morning. He is the enemy, definitely. And he is against God. But he is, he is a created being. He's not even in the same universe as God. He would not exist except God allows him to exist. He is our enemy. He is real. But he would want you to believe that, that your neighbor is your enemy. That the people are somehow against you and you... But that's not true, friends. We wrestle not, in Ephesians says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of darkness, spiritual weakness on high places. It's a spiritual battle, and he is that spiritual force that drives those wedges and, and, and tries to get us to doubt each other. He's our enemy. Jesus acknowledged Satan's existence by saying, Get thee behind me, Satan. He knew that he was real. He healed many. Jesus healed many people that were influenced, demonically influenced by the enemy. And he healed them. 
Who is the enemy? Who is this being that rebelled against God, that couldn't hold a candle to the power of God, but he rebelled against him? And he is in constant opposition of what God loves. Who is this enemy? I'd like to read in Ezekiel this morning. If you would turn in your Bibles to Ezekiel chapter 28. And uh, when, I, when I come into the, the, to books like Ezekiel and, and read of prophecies and things like that, I feel like I'm, I'm very inadequately prepared to do that. But this morning I'd like to, to read in, in Ezekiel 28 and um, just see what the scriptures talk about in light of our enemy. This is believed to be a dual prophecy of both the king of Tyre and of Satan. And uh, I don't fully understand all of those things, but that is what the scholars have, have decided. In verse 11, I'm going to begin reading in, in verse 11. God is, through the prophet, is taking up an, a, a lament concerning the king of Tyre in, in some, what some would believe is a veiled description of Satan as well, who, who very well might have been controlling the king of Tyre at this time. So let's observe some of the things that, that, that God said through the prophet in verse, uh, Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, take up a lament upon the king of Tyrus, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God, and here we're going to see a description of what is, what is believed to be a description of who, who Lucifer was, the, our enemy, who he was. He says in, 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 in verse 12, thou sealest up the sum. He was, he had everything, the sum of it. He just, he was perfect. He had it all. He was a model of perfection. Some translations say a signet of perfection. In verse 12, he says he was perfect in beauty. He had everything. He was a sight to behold. He was regal. He was handsome. He was beautiful. He was perfect. In verse 13, it uses gemstones uh, to describe him. Every precious stone was thy covering. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the burl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the, the carbuncle, and gold. All of them were covering him. He glistened in his beauty. Brilliant, radiant. But remember... Remember, the source of his radiance was not coming from within himself. He was reflecting the radiance of God that shone around him. And he glistened with, that, with the glory of God. Because of the glory of God, he was radiant. In Isaiah, we have those similar, similar familiar words where Lucifer, Lucifer was cast from, from heaven. It says, how thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. The, the, the brightness of the morning sun was attributed. The brilliance of that morning light was attributed to him. Because he was reflecting the glory of God. He was a reflector. And he still uses that light that he reflected then. He wants to use that same light to, de to deceive men yet today. He comes in Corinthians 
2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says, For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. He still wants to use that same glowing light to deceive us. And we, we need to be careful that we're not, we're not fooled by his camouflage when he comes as an angel of light. That we're not deceived by this faker of light. In our minds, we picture Satan as this grotesque, evil, ugly creature. Horns, a forked tail, whatever our minds have pictured, the, the, the artists may have described. And maybe he is that way sometimes. But there are times when he comes as an angel of light. He transforms himself into an angel of light. A creature that comes in a disguise as light. What was the purpose of his creation? We see in verse 13. Here in, in, in Ezekiel it says that, that he was... Um, the end of that verse is the workmanship of thy tabarets and the pipes that were prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. He was in charge of the music of worship in heaven. He was one of the top of the angels in the hierarchy of the angels. He was one of the top angels, the leader of the angels. Verse 15 says that that thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created. He was a created being. And he was, his job was to bring worship. In verse 14, it says that he was, he was the anointed cherub that covereth. That, that has the idea of, of, of protecting. He was a guardian angel. One of the, one of the, one of the top angels. But let's not be confused here. God did not create Satan. He created Lucifer, which is this angel. And Lucifer decided on his own will that he was going to oppose God. Everything about God, he was going to oppose it. And he became Satan. He rebelled against God of his own choosing. Where was he at? It says that God had placed him in Eden in verse 13. He was, he was um, in the holy mountain, verse 14. And he walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. He had access to the throne room of God. Not all the angels did, but he did. He was the anointed cherub. The one that protects. A cherub is considered to be the, the highest order of the angels, and he was the leader of the cherubs. He was their leader. But there is a flaw in this brilliant, beautiful angel. There is a flaw. His heart is not towards God. Let's note the following in verse 15. It says, Thou wast perfect in thy ways since the day of thy creation. From the day of thy cre thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Iniquity. The mystery of iniquity. Iniquity was found in him. In verse 16, it says that he was filled with violence. Filled with violence. And in verse 17, his heart was lifted up because of his beauty. His heart was lifted up. 
He, he was spending way too much time thinking about how great he was. Too much time in front of the mirror of his mind and, and looking at himself. Too many sentences that begin with, I will. The me, myself, and I was taking over. That was a fatal flaw in this creature that was created as Lucifer. In verse 18, it says that he was defiled by the multitude of his iniquities. He was defiled by them. Iniquity, the mystery of iniquity. Something happened in the heart of Lucifer. And that thing began to grow. His heart was, in his heart was a spirit of pride that grew and grew. That subtle, devastating sin. And his punishment, his punishment was was being banished from heaven. In verse 16, we see that, and I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. He was cast out of heaven. Cast to the ground in verse 17. Laid before kings. The idea of, it was a shameful laying before kings. Like he was devastated and, 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 um, and helpless. Shamed before the kings. In verse 18, he was turned to ashes. I will bring a fire from the midst of thee, and it shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of them, of all of them that behold thee. He was destroyed. Isaiah speaks similarly of this. Uh, in, in a veiled sense, he was also speaking of another king, the king of Babylon. I'd like to read that as well. We have, if we would, a couple books back in the Old Testament to Isaiah. If you want to turn with me to chapter 14, Isaiah chapter 14, this is our enemy who would, who would destroy us had he, if, he, if we give him a chance. Isaiah 14 verse 12, again a dual prophecy here. How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer. Isaiah fourteen twelve, Son of the morning, how thou art cast down to the ground, which didst weaken the nations. For thou hast said in thine heart, this is what he said in his heart, for thou hast said in thine heart, I, I will ascend into heaven, and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north, and I will speak. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. He wanted to be in charge of it all. He wanted to get to the very top and be in charge. Number one was what he wanted to be. Number two would never do. He was going to be number one. What is happening here? The reflector of the glory of God became wanting to, to, to be the source of light that he was not. He wanted all the eyes on him and not on God. We use a word for that, and that word is pride. Trying to bring focus into ourselves. He wanted to be number, God, number one like God. Um, from that day until now, he still has those aspirations. He still sows sows the seeds of selfishness and pride amongst the people, the tares amongst the wheat. He's throwing seeds wherever he can. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, 
40 days. Matthew 4 says that then Jesus was led up into the spirit by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. In the verse 8 it says, and again the devil taking up to an exceedingly high mountain shows him out all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said unto him, I'll give you all these things if you fall down and worship me. He still wanted to be that, that, the one that was on top of the heap, the king of the mountain. And that's where he's been for a thousand years, wanting to take on glory to himself. The question is, how does that manifest itself today? Are we aware that this is happening today because he's still out there doing his dirty work today? We see it if we look. People living for themselves, selfishly. We hear of things like the American dream. And, and some of these things may not be wrong in themselves, but think about it. The American dream, financial freedom, climbing to the corporate ladder. Be the best of the best. And there probably are dozens of phrases that we use and, think, and, and, and are used in our culture. That focus on the individual. And rising to the top of the heap, the king of the mountain, and they don't focus on God at all. They're selfish in their ambition. Timothy says this in Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 9. They that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare. That's what happens when we, when we strive to be the best above everybody else. And we, we strive, that's our focus. We fall into temptation and a snare. And many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Second Timothy goes on and he says in Second Timothy, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who have taken, who, were, who are taken captive by him at his will. He, it's a snare of the devil. This, pride, this thing of pride. Where did all the pride and selfishness originate? Where did that all come from? Well, back in our, in our Ezekiel chapter, in verse 17, it says, it says in, in Ezekiel, thine heart was lifted up because of thine beauty. It was in his heart that it all began. Began in his heart. Isaiah says, for, for thou hast said in thine heart, I will. It's all happening in the heart. That's where, it, that's where it begins. And God cannot dwell in the same place where the heart of pride is at. God cast Lucifer out of heaven. And Jesus was there to witness it. In, in Luke 8, excuse me, Luke 10, 18, Jesus said, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. God cast him out. That is the result of pride in the heart. Rebellion. Satan wasn't happy with rebelling on his own. No, he went out and recruited angels, sowing discord and, and discontent in others in his pride. Envy. And it seems that is still the case today. People don't rebel on their own. They don't do that. 
on their own. They want company. Revelations indicates that one-third of the angels listened to what he was saying, and they rebelled with him, and they too were cast out. Jude says that the angels which kept not their first estate, they didn't keep their first job, but they left their own habitation. He hath reserved in everlasting chains under, the dar- under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. The angels that followed him are waiting for their judgment. That is how evil came to exist in our world today. That is the mystery of iniquity. Did God know at creation that Lucifer, that this would happen in Lucifer's heart? Yes, I believe he did because he was omniscient. He knew. He knew. Could he have prevented it? Yes, he, he could have. He's all powerful. He could have easily prevented it. But then why didn't he? Why did he allow this to happen? And for that I say, I, I don't know. I don't understand all of that. Except for that he created the angels with a free will, just like he did you and I. He could have made them robotic. He could have made us robotic. Where we would enter into his sanctuary this morning and we'd all praise God perfectly because he made us to do that. But he didn't, he didn't do that. He wants us from our hearts to worship him. And he wanted the, he wanted the angels to, to do the same, to serve him from their hearts. And now we have a problem in this world. We have the problem of evil. And it requires us to pay attention to our hearts. And Paul calls it the mystery of iniquity. I have three points this morning as we close. And one is, number one is the power of pride. What can we learn from our enemy? What happened to our enemy? The power of pride. Pride turned an angel into a devil. That's what pride did. It happens in the heart. Well, we don't see it until it starts bearing fruit. Proverbs 16 says, Pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Another place it says, Pride cometh, then cometh shame. It destroys us from within. Is it a wonder that Paul adjures us in in Romans 12? I say through the grace given unto me, to every man, man that is among you, not to think himself more highly than he ought, but to think soberly according to as God hath dealt to every man a measure of faith. Think soberly, not more highly than we ought to think of ourselves. Pride would say, to think more of ourselves. In, 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 um, in Timothy, 1 Timothy, where it talks about uh, choosing a, a leader from amongst us, it says this about, about one of the qualifications. Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemna- condemnation of the devil. It's a real thing that we need to consider It's a real thing we need to be concerned about. We need to check our own hearts about. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Do we feel resistance in your your life? Do I feel resistance in my life? Is God resisting me if I'm proud? He will resist me if I'm proud. There's a verse in Isaiah that says that all we as sheep, all we like sheep have gone astray. 
Help me finish that verse, if you would. All we as sheep have gone astray, we, we have turned to our own way. That's what pride does. We turn to our own way. All of us are susceptible to that. And the Lord, then he finishes that verse. This is powerful. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. The mystery of iniquity. But Jesus, the Lord, God has taken that iniquity and laid it upon Christ for us all. That is the solution to the mystery of that iniquity. Jesus. And God has laid it upon him if we accept him as our Savior. Point number one is the power of pride. It will destroy us from within. Number two is the purpose of Satan. One of the very first things he did when he, when he rebelled, when rebellion entered, pride and rebellion entered into his heart as he went and he started recruiting others, convincing them to rebel as well. And misery loves company. As, as many angels that would listen, when they started listening, they, were, they became corrupted by the message. And he's still to this day spreading those lies that we can do it better than God can. God doesn't understand everything. Sowing those seeds of doubt and, and, and turmoil amongst the people. By whatever means and whatever methods, whatever wiles possible, he would turn our hearts from following after God. When you come to worship, he wants to distract. When you come before the Lord in your private time, he wants to cause your minds to wonder. He wants your eyes to slumber. I have a challenge. I thought about this as I was sitting. If you find yourself, you know, sometimes I am distracted as well. If you find yourself youth, if you find yourself being distracted, make a list. When I get, when I, when I come to church, these are the things that distract me. When I, when I read my devotions, when I come to prayer, when I want to talk to the Lord, these are the things that come to my mind instead. Those are the distractions that the enemy would have us do. Make a list. And then with God's help, attack each one. And say, you know what, God? I'm not going to let this distract me anymore. He's still sowing dissension and contention in the body of Christ, the church. At random, he throws in doubt. Seeds of doubt. Seeds of assumption. Any, any wicked thought, evil and wicked thought. He just throws it in there and he hopes it grows. The children of Israel were an example of this murmuring and complaining. First it was the water, and then it was the food, and then it was remembering how nice they had it back in their slavery. And then it was leadership. They remembered the leeks and the garlics. And when that spirit of rebellion was in their hearts, the first thing they did was murmur and complain. Despite the miracles that were happening right before their eyes, the parting of the sea, all the things that happened that God did for them, they didn't, they didn't look at those things. They just remembered the other. What are the things that I'm chafing at today? These are some things I wrote down for myself. Are there things that would be better for me to focus on? Things of blessings. We just came through Thanksgiving. So many blessings that we have. What about the miracles in my life? Let's focus on those things. 
And remember that Satan's ultimate goal was to deceive the angels to follow after him. And he would want to do the same to us today. He wants to take as many of us to hell with him as he can. But no, he is defeated and he knows it. He wants to keep you from hearing God's word with your heart and only with your ears. He wants to keep us from growing. He throws obstacles into our path. Anything to trip us up, discouragement, doubt, dissension, anything for us to to trip up. He will want nothing better than to ruin our testimony. To corrupt us to the point where we can no longer reflect the glory of God in us. Because we're so bogged down with other things. You wonder why the church is suffering all the turbulence and the dissension. Leaders falling, discouragement. Leaders quitting and giving up. People giving up. People being discouraged. Satan is out to destroy. That's what he's about. John 10.10 says, The thief cometh not but to still, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he's all about. That's what our enemy is doing. Jesus told Peter in Luke 22, he said, Peter, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. I don't know what all that means, but it was not a good thing. He was going to pulverize him and sift him as wheat. But here's the powerful part of that verse. In verse 32, Jesus went on to say, but I have prayed for you that you that thy faith fail not. And Jesus is still interceding for us today, friends. He would not want us to fail, but the enemy does. He's out there like a roaring lion, trying and looking to destroy us. Number three, Satan is not the opposite of God. He is a created being and he has limitations. He is defeated. He has lost the battle. And in Christ, we are victorious over the enemy of our souls. Satan and his limitations, with his heart full of pride and full of vengeance and hate and bitterness and murder, he and his demons, those angels that he took with him, they thought they could take Jesus, the Son of God, and if they could just kill him, surely that would give them the victory. Maybe take him by force and crucify him. Maybe that's what we, they, they would be rid of him. They didn't even, they didn't have a clue. They, they totally underestimated his power. They, under, they underestimated the plan of God. They didn't know. They didn't know. I'd like to read a scripture with me, the last scripture. If you would turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Thinking of our enemy. He is so wicked. And he's so powerful and yet he is so not powerful in comparison to God. They wanted to take Jesus and crucify him and kill him to get rid of him. But Satan didn't know everything. He didn't know that he was doing the greatest, the thing that he was doing when he took Jesus. He was, he was doing the th- very thing that would be his greatest defeat and it would be our greatest victory. In 1 Corinthians 2 verse Six. I want to read a couple of verses here and just, just think with me how limited our enemy is. Howbeit we speak wisdom among you that are perfect. 
Yet not the wisdom of the world, nor of the princes of the world, that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. Here's that word again, the mystery. We speak the wisdom of God in, in a mystery. Even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto his glory. Which none of the princes of the world knew. That's referring to Satan and his demons. They didn't know. Which none of the princes of the world knew. Had, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. He thought he knew it in his pride, in his arrogance. He decided to get rid of Jesus, but he played right into the hand of God because if he had known it, he wouldn't have done it. I'm glad that he thought himself to be wise when he really wasn't. He didn't know it all. Let's not fear our enemy. He is defeated. He is a defeated enemy. But let us be aware of his great scheme to ruin humanity. He would want to ruin every one of us in his in his scheme. And towards our enemy, let's be watchful against him. Let's rebuke him. Let's resist him. First John 4 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they be of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then later in that chapter, in verse 4, it says, But ye are of God. Little children, friends, and have, and have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we recognize that we have an enemy. We recognize that